Brand name drug manufacturers employ several strategies for forestalling generic competition. One critical pathway that generics manufacturers have used to bring products to market despite these tactics is now under threat, and that could have implications for healthcare costs and patient welfare. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Amit Sarpatwari, an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Assistant Director of the Program on Regulation, Therapeutics, and Law at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Sarpatwari has co-authored a perspective article about a legal challenge to the so-called skinny labeling pathway. Dr. Sarpatwari, what types of strategies do brand name manufacturers use for extending their periods of exclusivity in the United States? And what is a patent thicket? There are several strategies that brand name manufacturers use. A common one is by attempting to protect their product by as much intellectual property as possible. And in some senses, that is by applying for and obtaining multiple patents on various aspects of a product. So typically, the first thing that you'll patent in a drug is the active ingredient. But there are other aspects that we can consider inventions that are associated with the drug. That could be its method of manufacture. It could be its method of use. It could be different formulations. And so in some egregious cases, there are over 100 patents on a single drug. And that sort of density, I guess it's almost a jungle of patents on a particular product, that is what people typically refer to as patent thickets. In your perspective article, you talk about the importance of the skinny labeling pathway. What is skinny labeling and how do generics and biosimilars manufacturers use it to bring products to market in a timely way? So if you take a look at that patent thicket, it could be composed of a large number of method of use patents. And one of the things that really struck us as surprising in writing this piece is that we saw that the number of use codes in what's called the orange book which can basically be taken as a proxy for the number of patents for methods of use, increased over 500% between 2001 and 2019. And you might say, well, we're making more active ingredients, we're making more drugs. If you actually took a look at the number of use codes per active ingredient, that also increased by 350%. So that means that there are are more methods of uses that are protected by patents and skinny labeling would allow a generic manufacturer or a biosimilar manufacturer to carve out those still patent protected indications so that they could come to market for perhaps in some cases many unpatented indications and so that logically seems fair because the brand name manufacturers received considerable protection for those older indications, but those protections have expired. And so one would think that as a matter of, I guess, equity in return for that period of protection, now we allow generic and biosimilar manufacturers to come to market for those older indications. So taking a step back, what do we know about how generic competition, including competition facilitated by this skinny labeling, how it affects drug prices and access to treatment? Drug prices have been in the news for many years, and 
I think that across parties, it typically emerges as one of the number one issues of concern that people face. And despite many different strategies that have been proposed to tackle drug prices, really the most well-known strategy to reduce drug prices is by increasing competition, by allowing timely access of generics and biosimilars. And so in the case of, let's just say, small molecule drugs, having three or more manufacturers on the market for a particular drug can reduce prices by as much as 80 to 90%. And so really, from a strategy of preserving innovation, we want to reward brand name manufacturers for bringing innovation to the market. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we are allowing patients to affordably access these therapies. And once these generics and biosimilars come on the market, and once there is rigorous competition, these drugs and biologics become far more affordable. And that has downstream effects. We know that people who are started on generics as opposed to brand name drugs have better adherence to their medications. And people who adhere better to their medications are less likely to suffer the adverse events of having a condition that's untreated. You write that a recent case, GlaxoSmithKline versus Teva, has threatened the skinny labeling pathway. So what are the facts of that case and what did the court decide? That case involves a beta blocker, Carvedolol. The brand name manufacturer is GlaxoSmithKline. And there are three indications for the drug. Congestive heart failure, left ventricular dysfunction following myocardial infarction, and hypertension. In this case, there was a generic manufacturer, Teva, who wanted to come to market on two of the older indications, the left ventricular dysfunction following myocardial infarction and hypertension. And in so doing, it would carve out that still patent-protected indication of congestive heart failure. As many generic manufacturers and biosimilar manufacturers have done before, it was thought that this would not raise an issue. However, GlaxoSmithKline sued Teva, and both the federal district court and a federal court of appeals found that in this case, Teva had induced patent infringement for that still patent-protected indication of congestive heart failure. And the logic behind that is what is really at the heart of this case and what worries a lot of pharmaceutical scholars and policymakers. What was it that induced the infringement? Now, there is some mention of advertising materials, but critically, what the court focuses on, one of the things that the court focuses on, is what was in the labeling. So labeling is a extensive document. And at the front is the indications, and simply removing the indication was sufficient for decades in order to come to market with a skinny label. But there is other information in the labeling, such as referenced clinical studies, dosing, administration information, and generally speaking, according to law, the label should be as similar, as exact as possible, a generic and its brand name drug or a biosimilar and its biologic drug. And so in this case, the fact that there was some information that could somehow relate to that patent protected indication 
was at least in part one of the reasons why Tiva was found liable for patent infringement. And its punishment was extraordinarily severe. And so what is worrisome here is, is this going to have a chilling effect on generic manufacturers and biosimilar manufacturers bringing their products to market in as timely a fashion as possible? Tiva has appealed this case to the Supreme Court. What's the likelihood that the court will take the case? Is there precedent for the Supreme Court reversing patent-related decisions by federal circuits? So this is the interesting thing, is when it comes to patent-related issues, there is really only one federal circuit that hears those issues. And so that's the federal circuit. And in this case, that was the court that rendered this decision. And so normally in many other cases, what you look for is a circuit split. You look for two appeals court deciding a similar question and coming to different conclusions. And you can't have different law applying in different places across the country. So that is what's considered an automatic ticket to a Supreme Court case. But in this case, because there aren't other courts that have this jurisdiction at the appellate level, it really is a unique situation when it comes to patent-related issues, and the court needs to decide without regard to any split whether or not this is a critical question to take. And in this case, we at least know the court is taking this question very seriously. It's asked for the federal government. It's asked for the Biden administration to weigh in with an amicus brief. And what is expected is that after that brief is submitted, that the court will take about a month to review and decide whether or not to hear the case. And I think there are many people who think that they may take this case, but divining that is a little bit like reading tarot cards. So finally, if the Supreme Court doesn't take the case or takes it and then doesn't reverse the lower court's decision, what are the policy options for maintaining a skinny labeling pathway? If the Supreme Court were to not take the case or heaven forbid, to take the case and actually render a decision that made it even harder for skinning labels to come to market, which is a possibility. The policy options really lie with Congress. And the easiest thing that Congress could do is to prohibit findings of infringement based on what is included in a label. So clearly there are ways that generic manufacturers could aggressively promote a patent-protected indication, and we wouldn't want to insulate that from any liability. But where it's pretty clear that what needs to be in a label is dictated by federal law, it seems, at least in our opinion when we wrote this article, that it is unfair to penalize the generic and biosimilar manufacturers for simply following federal law and making their label as similar as possible to the corresponding brand or originator label. Of course, the difficulty lies with getting legislation passed through Congress. One hope for optimism in this case is this is really all about enhancing market competition and should hopefully speak to congressmen across both parties. In the event that Congress also fails to act, I think what we are really going to see is the need for FDA and the United States Patent and Trade Office 
to work a little bit more collaboratively in ensuring that unmerited patents are not granted. And this is an issue that the Biden administration has flagged as a priority issue. But again, there's only so much that you can do without legislation. Thank you, Dr. Sarpadwari.